Hi, my name's Tiffany, and you're listening to Voices of INSEAD. Together, we listen to the stories of our incredible peers from across the globe and discuss topics such as professional, cultural, and life experiences in an open and genuine way. Let's get to it. Hi, guys. Very excited today to have Stavros with us. Um, let me try to pronounce his name right. Stavros Tavlaris. Um, for anyone that doesn't know him yet, um, Stavros is from Greece. He has a sister. He was born and raised in Athens. Um, a lot of us know him as the ship captain. He studied in the Merchant Marine Academy Captain School in Athens. And he then worked in a ship and brokerage office for a while. I don't know what that means, but he'll explain it. And he spent the last seven years working on gas carrier vessels around the world, rising through the ranks. Um, He really loves sailing. He used to also sail in Olympic classes. Um, He says he sucked. I'm not sure what that means for him. Uh, But then he coached a bit. He did a few races. And you can see him in videos with the Greek Red Bull team. Um, and he came to INSEAD um, looking for a chance to work in something that he really believes in. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to finding out more about his life and what brought him there. Um, his two truths and a lie are that he jumped off a plane, um, that he reset his own arm after breaking it on top of a mountain, and that coffee is his big weakness. So, very, very interesting. We'll find out more about Stavros. <laughs> I can tell he's already a bit nervous. Um, thanks for being here, Stavros. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. We can we can start this. This is a tale, actually. <laughs> I've told, I've, I've said it uh, quite a few times. Uh, where your, you li- your life story, you mean? Yeah, yeah. He's I've already ready, ready to jump into a life story. Uh, so. Yeah, <laughs> heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, where do you want to start from? I can I can comment on the on these things I've said there mostly, but. So maybe we can start with just some easy questions. Like, can you tell us more what it means to be in a shipping brokerage office? Yeah. So uh, when I was 17 and uh, I needed a job, so I reached out to a friend of uh, my family and uh, he was running a brokerage office where they do ship chartering. They find they match cargoes and ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, ca- uh, ships that carry dry cargoes and cargoes all over the world. So your job is to actually, you have a very huge database and you try to match between these two things and then you try to make it work between them. So you're a broker, you're, you broker the deal. Okay. What is dry cargo? Dry cargoes is uh, very big cargoes of coal, uh, soya, uh, clinker. These are cargoes that cannot be transferred by plane or train. And okay. they're in huge quantities. So there's people that want to transport this, and then there's people that have ships to transport it. Yes, correct. Okay. And and it's it's yeah, it's mostly that. This is what you mostly do all of your day. You work uh, nine to seven, and then you go have drinks with the clients because this is how you do the deals. <laughs> you okay. drink them, you wine them, you dine them, and you hope for the best. And who are the clients? The people shipping, or the ships, or both? Uh, you usually work either for the charters or for the ship owners. Uh, you choose when you enter the business what you want to do. You can either do both or you can be exclusive for a ship owner or for a charter. It depends. The charters okay. usually have the cargoes or they're looking for ships. It depends. It's, it's a very, it's a big business. You just kind of take your space in it and you work it from there. And it's a relationship business. Yes. The, their favorite saying is, 
our word is our bond. Okay. So it is a lot based on trust and on all the relations you build throughout doing business with them. And is it something that's not being digitized now? Because you could imagine that this is the kind of business, right? That becomes someone comes with a digital solution and then you don't have this relationship aspect anymore. Yeah, there are some companies trying to do that. There is a lot of startups in this sector, but I don't think you can emulate the personal relationship, mm -hmm. which is a factor that plays a lot into the into the shipping business. And this is where you see that this Greek shipping community is so tight knit because you cannot easily enter. And if you enter, you make the right connections, you can go very far. Okay, so it's not about money. Like, what about if I can propose you a better deal? They would still value the relationship more? If you were the right person and if you had their trust, they will a lot of times take deals that might be detrimental to them in order to keep the relationship and because they trust this person that there will be no hiccups or no problems throughout the deal. What kind of issues might you have that makes trust really important? Uh, because you 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 work on a on a basis that you will pay on time and that the people on the ship will carry out their jobs according to all the regulations and that you will show goodwill in all the problems that will arise. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of factors to be taken in and this is why this business is so fast and so well placed uh, around the world that people want to get in but they cannot because they do not have the network connection to, to actually work there. So, and you worked on the matching side or did you also work on the boats? How did that work? So, yeah, I, I worked for two years uh, in the ship brokerage office and I, in parallel, I enrolled into the, into the Merchant Marine Academy to, to study in the captain school, mm -hmm. which is uh, three years of studying and then it's a year of sailing on, on board the vessels as a cadet. And once you graduate, you become a third officer and then you have to do a couple of months of, uh, not a couple, <laughs> a few months of uh, sea service, you get your next uh, rank, you have to do a few more and you get your captain's rank. This whole process takes around eight to ten years to get to captain rank. So you graduate from at 22 and you become a captain usually around 30, 32, you are there. Okay, and then you work for the ship owners or who do you work for? Uh, you work for the ship owners. I used to work in a company called Gaslog. We used to carry uh, liquefied natural gas around the world. Mm -hmm. It's a niche business. It used to be at least within the shipping industry. Now it is growing into very big proportions. It's very technical, uh, it's very regulated, and it actually kind of reminds me of a bit of the corporate world in many, in many ways. Okay, how so? Uh, you have to, you have, you, you keep evolving and they always are after growth and they want to keep your KPIs. And despite the fact that the ship is run in a high hierarchy, and in a very strict military hierarchy, mm -hmm. there is not a lot of room for maneuvering. There is still some pushback from the office that, uh, guys, we want to do it this way. You have to do it this way. Let's say a better way. Let's do the metrics, which is not always something that goes well with the way you want to run the ship. Okay. 
And how exactly does this work? So you get an assignment to go do like bring liquefied natural gas somewhere. So yeah, the steps like how long in advance do you know? How do you prepare? I think it's really interesting. You know, like you're it's really specialized business, and not many people have any idea what you're doing. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I didn't have any idea what I was doing when I, I went there as well. So what happens is you join the vessel wherever it's in the world. So let's say if it's in Australia, I'll fly to Australia, I'll get on the vessel, I'll take command. And then we receive instructions from whoever is chartering us, who is using the vessel as a transport medium mm -hmm. to go to a loading site, which is usually uh, Australia, America, Nigeria, uh, a couple of places in South South America, uh, more or less, and you load the cargo, and then you have to deliver it within a specified amount of time uh, at certain destinations like uh, Europe, China, Japan, Korea, and a couple of other places. You don't get a lot of notice in advance. They, you just you go on the ship. They they might tell you a month before, or they might tell you a an hour before you complete the loading operation. It really varies. It depends on who the charterer is and if they have ready buyers to actually take the cargo from them. And do you work with different types of people every time? We do a four-month rotation on board the vessel. Okay. So you have, so every four months, crew changes. So if you stay longer than that, you will meet a lot of people. But you have to remember that you, when you enter the ship, some people are at their fourth month, some people are at their sixth, others are very early. So there is a rotation of people. You don't work with the same people all the time, no. And you all, always change vessels as well. So mm -hmm. you usually go to different vessels, different people. You might run into a few if you like them or if you request them from the office. But other than that, it's a multitude of people and personalities. And your hierarchy, is it very clear what the hierarchy is the moment you step on a boat? How do you know, how do I know where you stand versus me? Like, do we have stripes? Uh, yeah, we, we do not wear stripes like the Navy. Uh, we, have, uh, we have our name tags or our signs saying that I'm the chief officer, I'm the captain or whatever. But everybody on the ship knows we are 30 people, 30, 32 more or less. Everybody knows who the captain is, who the chief officer is and so forth. So yes, the command structure is very clear yeah. and it is not supposed to be overridden or, uh, you know, nobody steps out of it really. So even if you're a new guy, immediately everyone knows where you stand and you have this kind of power structure already in place. Yes, if you're coming on, on the vessel as the captain, then you are the captain. If you're coming as an officer, then you are an officer. Everybody below that have to respect that even if you are not, if you, if you don't seem to be the right person for the job. It carries the title carries weight. Yes. So what happens if someone disrespects you that's below you? Uh, we don't whip them anymore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. We we are past that. Um, there are repercussions, but you really have to judge it. I mean, I mean, is it worth it to punish someone? Yeah. It depend uh, because they said something that goes beyond what you believe, or do you punish them because they? It was an infringement on your ego. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to separate these things because in dangerous situations on the vessel, if your people know you do not have their back, they will not have yours. Okay, that makes sense. And what yeah. kind of people, what kind of backgrounds work there? Like I'm assuming mostly men. Are they women also? 
Where do people come from? Yeah, officers. So we have three classes on board the vessels. We have captain, officers, and lower crew. Captains, uh, in my experience, are usually either Greek, uh, Croatian, Spanish, and uh, I have seen a couple of uh, Russians. Mm -hmm. um, mostly the officers come from the same backgrounds, Greek, uh, Croatian, Ukrainian, Spanish, a lot of the times. This is in our industry. In the other industries, you see, you see a lot of Indian people, um, a lot of British as well. When you said your industry, you mean liquefied? Yes, I mean in the LNG vessels. Yes, there is each industry has its own pool of people that they draw from. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is more or less to us, and the lower crew is usually in ma in our uh, sector. It's usually Filipino. Mm. So you have these intergroup dynamics that you have to manage all the time. Uh, on the Greek side now, uh, usually the people that go there from Greece is the the people who do not have a lot of choice. Uh, the, 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 the job is harsh and you spend a lot of time away from home. The level of the people that work there is low. The school is, does not really prepare you for what you have to do. Mm. It's a bit outdated. They have no facilities. They just teach you some very basic stuff and they, then they tell you just off you go, go to the ships, you will learn everything there. So you're in the mercy of whoever is training you. So if the people that are training you on, on board the vessel are not really good, then there is not a lot of room to improve if you do not put a lot of self-effort. Yeah. And a lot of people put that effort, I'm assuming? Or? No, no. Okay. A, lot of, a lot of these people are people who would never get this chance to get this much money. Mm. And this makes them a bit complacent. How much money do people make on these boats? Or is uh, you don't want to disclose? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, we are some of the best paid people in the industry. Uh, an officer ranges from seven to eight thousand per month. Mm -hmm. Chief officers and second engineers make around uh, ten to thirteen, fourteen thousand, and captains range from sixteen to twenty thousand. Okay, yeah, that's pretty this per month yeah yeah that's a lot of money actually you know it is but you have to remember that you get paid for your time so you give up your time and they pay you back with this and you get to work with all these people you don't want to work with and yeah. these people don't want to work with you and you have to make all of this mixture actually it sounds really harsh go forward did it you make some friends or <laughs> i did i did make some friends i had some good relationships but you have to remember that when you are the chief officer or you are on top and your friends are below you there are moments where you will have to make them do what you say and yeah. they might not want to and this creates friction into all of these relationships you can be polite you can be thoughtful you can be cognizant of the fact that this might happen and you try to keep your distances but when it's go time and everybody is high alert and there is an emergency, then you do not know how all of these relationships will come out to turn out to be. You don't know how everybody will react in the end of the day. So you're talking about emergencies. Um, is it a very like dangerous job? Is that part of the reason why it's paid that highly or it's really just the time? Did you experience any very critical scenarios? So, 
yes, I have experienced quite a few things uh, during my time on the vessels. It is a job where you constantly manage your risk. You have to always be aware that there is a risk and you constantly try to manage it. You constantly try to limit your people exposure to danger. You try to minimize how much time they will spend in a dangerous situation and you try to take all the safeguards against it. But us being human and stupid most of the time, because uh, because we rush through jobs or because we want things to be faster or because people are pushing you and time is limited, you do things sometimes the wrong way and this is how people get hurt. Okay. Um, Yes. I was thinking more of natural scenarios, like scenarios where you have a thunderstorm or things like this. It's making you smile, so probably it's stupid. No, no, it's not. Uh, yes, we, we, we face very harsh storms and we face very bad weather. But when we face that, we, we are a group and we face it as a group and we, we have to make a decision. Do we go forward? Do we turn back or do we get delayed? The decision there is easier sometimes you just have to deal with the office that will say to you yes but you will be late we will lose money but it comes down to you if you feel that the vessel is unsafe then you do not take the decision how many leave like is it how many people die from this like is that a thing does it happen a lot or does it happen sometimes i, I don't have a number off the top of my head okay there is some accidents that happen because of badly uh, distributed cargoes on board of vessels and uh, ships break in half and you have to do rescue operations I think that nowadays with the technology the number has gone down mm -hmm. uh, we have other things we are in danger of <laughs> usually it's stress like the most common killer on board vessels is stress wow. this is what kills you yeah heart attacks stress accidents are rarer but they still happen were there like specific scenarios where you got specific like very stressed or yes uh, one of the most stressful stories i had yeah uh i was an officer in 2016 and we were doing a crossing from japan to panama canal through mm -hmm. the pacific ocean and a few days after we left the port one of the crew members a messman complained that he was uh, not feeling very well that he was having difficulty sleeping and after a few days these complaints kept piling and he started taking out the lights from his cabin he started uh, putting things that will ward spirits outside of his cabin and in his room like sorry i don't understand what do you mean he believes in in dark magic so he used like alcohol or garlic and he would dress himself with uh, oh. red red scarves in order to ward off uh, dark magic and we started getting worried obviously yeah and then one of the days he went down to the kitchen to work and he was um he said to the chief cook that chief i'm not feeling very well i don't know what to do i want to go away i'm seeing things come out of the walls so we got very worried and mm -hmm. we had a discussion with the company's doctor he advised us to give him some sedatives keep him a bit under supervision for a few days so that sounds really intense uh, it was we were in the middle of the pacific yeah we had uh, yeah it was not a fun situation so we had watches on him people with him all day long and he was sleeping at a different cabin than his own 
where people could actually stay in the hallway and look at him. And then one of those days we are in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There is a bad storm going on. Not something worrying, but the waves were big. We were rolling. It was not a fun situation. And this guy, he called the captain and he told him that, you know, I'm feeling better, but I cannot sleep in this cabin. I want to go to my own. And the captain was like, okay, yes, go ahead. But you'll have a guy outside to watch you. He's like, okay, cool. They take him to the other cabin. The guy is staying outside. And what happened is the messman asked for the door to be closed so that the light wouldn't come into the cabin mm. so he could sleep. And the watchman said, yes, I'll do that, but I'll check on you every 20 minutes. Okay. So he checks him the first time he's inside. He checks him a second time he's inside. He checks a third time. Uh, the window is open. The guy is gone. And the windows on the ships do not open. You have to unscrew them. So he unscrewed the window. He jumped out. And he started running amok on the vessel. Um, I was on watch at the time. On the bridge, uh, the watchman starts screaming in Tagalog, which is the Filipino local language, that the messman is gone and where he is. And he started crying on the radio because they were they were a bit afraid, all of them, about him. And had he been uh, threatening that he would kill himself? Or no, no, he didn't give any such indications. But um, so what he did, so what I did, I raised the alarm on okay. the vessel. Uh, there was there was a lot of confusion because it was 11:30 at night. People were sleeping. When you get a general alarm, people go into high alert. It's not fun. Mm. Everybody freeze. Everybody froze on the stairs. They couldn't go up. Very few people responded. I turned on the lights on all of the vessel in the middle of the night, which is not something that usually happens. And as I went out on the right side of the vessel to to do a maneuver that you have to do when you have a man jump overboard because my initial thought was that he jumped overboard mm. so i tried to act on that and as i went to the right side i saw him on the last like lowest part of the vessel hanging out of the rails and waiting what do you think he was doing do you think he was actually wanting to jump he or? yeah i think he was contemplating the whole thing okay so he was he, he, was, he was standing out on the on the part of the sea so he yeah. was hanging outside towards the sea and we are a very big vessel, we are rolling, it's a storm. You have to be kind of contemplating that in order to do this whole process. And people congregated to the spot. I informed them, they went down there. The captain talked with him for a while. And then the captain kind of fainted because of the stress and he was, wow. he was a bit not feeling very well. And then because of this, the messman came back on board, tried to help the captain, and then they grabbed him. So like, <laughs> and they carried him to, to, <laughs> to another cabin. They put new watches, they tightened the windows, they put chains on the windows. So we kept him another 15 days under watch. And he was doing daily sessions with a doctor, a psychologist, his wife, a priest and virtually and a sorcerer that they found in 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 philippines but do you think it's really him or it was the because you were saying like these boats create crazy amounts of stress 
Do you think it just unleashed something in him from for being in the boat? I think it's a combination of the two yeah. factors because this guy was with us for six months. Six months is not a long a lo lot of time uh, for what they usually do. The, the lower crew they tend to stay seven to ten months usually. Yeah. So six is not the a, a, a unusually long period, but he was having trouble at home probably and he didn't like the job he was being pressured because on the vessel there's not a day off yeah it's every day you have to do your job and you have to do it correctly because there is nobody else to do it yeah so there is a continuous flow of work and it overwhelms you at some point and i believe this is what happens and so this guy we kept him for another 15 days and then we had to give him out with an escort in the Panama Canal. Wow, that sounds really intense. It's really crazy that you're stuck with people basically on a boat and whatever happens, you all have to work on it together. Yeah, th this is, this is I think, part of the very hard yeah. uh, process on board that you have to work with people that might not be aware or very highly trained to do what they have to do. Mm -hmm but they have to save you and you have to save them in situations which you don't know what to get into. Did you ever have situations where you felt like you were entering folly maybe or highly stressed? Oh, I mean, that or are was, you naturally cool-headed? That was a stressful situation. Yeah. I um, No, but for yourself, I mean, because this is you dealing with someone else's folly. Did you ever feel moments where it pushed you to the brink? I had a couple of times uh, when I became a chief officer when I was really stressed yeah. because I had people on the line and they fell and they hurt themselves. But overall, the harder it gets, the cooler I get. So I have this when things get very rough, I start going very cold because yeah. you have to make decisions that will maybe not be the best and you have to be able to calculate the risks. So. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something you think you built over time or something that you were born with? So, yeah, one thing that you that I need to to expand on is how I got into this. Yeah. Um, so when I was younger, uh, I lost my two parents, both of them. When I was 15, I lost my mother. When I was 17, I lost my father. How did you lose them? Uh, they died of cancer, both of them. So that must have been really hard, no? It was an interesting time, yes. I was young, I was 15 and 17 years old. I didn't know much. My family didn't have much. We were going through a bad financial crisis. There was not a lot of money. Taking care of my parents was hard. So you had to take care of them? Uh, not, not fully, but we had to you had to go from being a school kid to being someone who actually has to care for the home, care for the parents, help them out, medication, cook, clean, think of other stuff. Which is crazy, right? At 15 years old, yeah. you're supposed to be doing stupid things. Yeah, you're supposed to be doing all of yeah. that. And then you, this is what you get. But I didn't complain. I mean, it was... We were already very disciplined because throughout my childhood I have been sailing. And at 15, I was kind of starting to get to the pre-Olympic uh, classes yeah. where there is a lot of discipline, there is a lot of uh, work on yourself. So 
I was kind of slowly building up to that. And then when I turned 17, uh, it was the time when I had to take my my exams to for the university. And my father died in November and I had to take the exams on June. So I kind of reoriented myself towards something that would be more profitable since I wanted to do either medical or shipbuilding school, which is higher education. Yeah. But I had to make very tough choices on that and say that, you know, I cannot do that. I don't have the money. I cannot sustain. Nobody else around me is able to help me. So I have to do this on my own. So I made the choice, kind of a desperate one, to join the Merchant Marine Academy, which, as I told you, is what people do in Greece when they don't have choices. Yeah, okay. And I joined that. I started working on the on the ship brokerage office where I met my kind of my mentor there. He was the owner. He helped me quite a lot in trying to build a trajectory for a career or getting out of the pool that I was in of the yeah. very deep hole. And this is this is also I think when I initially have the idea that okay, I am here. I'm slowly building to something, but I want more. I wanted higher education. I didn't get it, but I want it. Yeah. So it was like I was 19 years old. I was the second time on a vessel and I decided that I want to have more. I want to actually educate myself. And I thought that, okay, you want a chance. You want something to make an impact. You want change in your life. What you're doing now is not really something you like. So what's your options? And this is how I came up with uh, an MBA. How did your dad feel about you giving up on your dreams to become a doctor or a shipbuilder in order to take care of the family? Is that a discussion you had with him at all? Yes. Uh, throughout the last year of my father's life, we have been... It was hard. My father didn't really want to go on. He was not very motivated. And because of his of his illness, yes, and okay. the loss of my mother, so he was a bit disheartened. So he kept on going back to Stavros. I know you have the grades. I know you can do it, but consider that I'm not going to be here in a few years. Try something else. Maybe go to the ships. It's better. We have friends. You have seen how it is. They make a lot of money. You should try for that. So, okay. yeah, it was my 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 choice was partially based on that, mm -hmm. that he was pushing for it. And at the time when he died, I was like, OK, yeah. now it seems like a viable option. Yes, I have to do it now. And what, how about your little sister? How did she live through this? Um, did you feel did you have did you take care of her afterwards? My sister. She took it like me. It was a harsh period. Um, so, and also we have a year difference. So she had to stay at school and I had to start working. The distances were a bit rough. Uh, she took it well enough, given the circumstances. We didn't end up anywhere very bad. I didn't start doing drugs. We didn't start doing anything very uh self-destructive but still it's been a it's been a race it's been a it's been a long journey getting here has been a has been a journey for me oh honestly so it's actually interesting like what led to you deciding on INSEAD um 
I, as I said, the pre-mentioned stories, yeah. how I got my motivation. And then through me working yeah. in the seabroking office and interacting with my mentor, he was a proponent of Stavros. Yes, you should do something for yourself. You should educate yourself. But first, get your captain's license. Yeah. So the plan was me to get my captain's license and then look for a, a postgraduate degree. But I knew that I wanted to do an MBA and I wanted to do one of the best MBAs. Yeah. Why an MBA? I didn't have the time to go through the whole process of doing four schools or four years of school again and universities. And I think that I have a knack for wanting to create. Mm. And I believe that through an MBA, you can actually make something of your own that will leave a mark. It's, it's, it's a highway and MBAs are a highway and uh, I have been looking for a road out of what I've been doing and into something that might leave something behind that I will be proud of for a long time. And so I got that, that little spark back then when I was 19. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of structured all my way around getting the money and building the space and time for me to do an MBA. Because I have been saving money ever since I was 19 to get here and I am, I am paying it all the way on my own here. So I spent the past nine, nine years saving money, making space, making sure I got all my diplomas or my certificates while on board, going away for four, five, six, seven months at the time. And then at the small period of time I had to come back, I did my classes, I did my language, I tried to do my GMAT and all of that and tried to, tried to prepare so once I had my captain's license, I was ready to do it. Yeah. And this is this is how I got here. I mean, for the, I have been going on a run for the past 26 months because I did. I did the captain school to get my second license as a chief officer. Then I did 15 months of um, I broken apart. I did seven months as a chief officer. I did four months of GMAT. Then I did another seven months as a chief officer and then I got my captain's license. So, and then I had a short period of time where I got here. So it's been a, it's been a run. It's been a marathon. I've been running quite a while. And how does it feel being here now? Because I think the one, one thing about an MBA, right? There's a lot of very privileged people that probably didn't have to put, um, even like 5% of the effort that you have to put in. So how, how does it feel now being here? To be honest, I, I, I find it quite hard in the beginning getting here because yes, as you said, there's a lot of privileged people and I see all these people around me who didn't have to, to give so much, mm. uh, because they were, they, they were facilities or people around them who could support them and me having to do it on my own gives me a very different perspective. But I think that it is important to, to know that I did get here and I did get on my own. And despite the fact that all the privileged people here got here as well, I do not come from a business background. I did not have the, the support by anyone, but I did it anyway. So it is important to highlight that you can do it 
no matter where you come from. Yeah. And even though I do find some of the people here a bit soft, given <laughs> given my soft meaning, meaning would survive. No, no, they would survive. They would survive, but you haven't done okay. it. And yeah. until you do it, you do not really know who you are, because with successes, most people here in INSEAD are very successful in what they do. Yeah. But you have to be able to deal with the losses as well. You have to be able to take the failures and turn them into a lesson. Yeah. And this is a very this is a very hard earned lesson that I learned how to do that and how to come back and how to prime myself mentally that okay we are here we have to fight there is no giving up and i hope that everyone here doesn't have to go so through something similar yeah but i i see it as a very important life skill do you do you have any idea i always think about this that like how do you build strength you know when you do come from a situation where everything is comfortable how do you build this resilience or strength like Do you, do you have to work on a ship maybe for a few months? Like, what, what would your advice be there? No, I wouldn't suggest uh, <laughs> working on a ship. I don't think this is the... Are you going to take us as interns? Uh, you you want to go on a ship? I would love to. <laughs> I want to some strength. I feel a bit soft. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think you would, you would find the experience um, uplifting. But building strength and mental strength and building habits that will allow you to go forward is a disciplined exercise i have doubted myself for a very long time in many many things and i never for a very long time i didn't believe i would get here i believe that i would do, go through all of this and i wouldn't actually manage it at the end mm. but uh for better or for worse when you say not manage it by the way do you mean INSEAD like getting to INSEAD or surviving INSEAD what do you mean by this yeah I'm talking about INSEAD because it has been a dream of mine for a very long time to try to to get out of the vessels get out of a job that I do not like and try to do something that is more meaningful yeah and I saw INSEAD as an avenue to that so it was very important to me to get that goal so when you got in for you it was a really big deal <sighs> it was a big deal Actually, the funny part is uh, I was rejected initially by INSEAD. They sent me a rejection letter uh, and I was on the ship and I was a bit pissed, to be honest. So I did email them back, outlining a few reasons of why rejecting me and pushing the whole pro process back a year would not assist, would not change anything. And that I do have a track record of overcoming difficulties yeah so yeah and i got a response back we went to an interview with one of the admissions officers and through this process they actually granted me an acceptance offer wow, that's a really beautiful story actually yeah i, I mean it just shows first of all your grit um working hard and your insistence and then you were able to change their minds i think that's really amazing yeah i i As I was saying about strength and yeah. discipline, I I used to be an athlete. I between all of that, in all of this mayhem, I used to race for a while professionally in 470 Olympic classes, mm. and which teaches you a lot about success and failure. To be honest, I lost a lot. <laughs> It was painful lessons. I I lost quite a lot in my sailing career, 
and the here what matters is that when I was I performed at my best, my teammate decided that he was he he didn't want to continue, mm. so we had to stop. And I started coaching a bit other for for seventy sailors, and you know time passed, and then some guys from the Greek Red Bull sailing team approached me, and they asked me if I wanted to do a couple of races with them, and we did that, and suddenly there was a whole new world of sailing for me, where I went from sailing Olympic classes to sailing something completely different faster, better, in a more organized way and getting the chance that every sports athlete dreams of. Yeah. And I got to a point where I had to decide if I wanted to continue on the path I had set myself a couple of years ago, going for an MBA or choose a path that would I really want to. And it really made me feel like this is something I want to do in my life, being a sailing athlete. And I had to make a very bad choice. I had to say no, which I know why I did it. I had said to myself, I want to do higher education. I will do higher education no matter what. I stacked my option, but it was a painful one. So when you give up too many things to do something else, you get here and you want, you want things to happen here. So I got here. So I want things to happen after this. So what do you think is going to happen now that you've been here a few months? Do you have any better ideas of what you want to do? Do you feel like it's going to bring you somewhere? Uh, that's a that's a tough question. I've been having I've been having these thoughts for the past few months, weeks. So I got here. I'm happy. I've met so many new people, so many interesting backgrounds. You're making all these friends and everybody has kind of an inkling of where they are going. Maybe yes, maybe no. I think everybody more or less is searching for something. And I keep wondering, where am I going? What am I doing? Am I, am I going to go consulting? Am I go, do I want to build my own business? And I, I, I do believe truthfully that this process we are going through is what will land us on the result we want. Because even if we do not do it in the next year, the seed has been planted and you'll keep asking yourself the same question where am i going until you find the right answer yeah i think i mean i think this is a great way of ending it i don't know if there's anything else you want to say but at the end of the day like i think you'll get somewhere because you're a very persistent person and you're going to fight for it so i'm <laughs> not worried for you at all yeah i don't i don't let things get into my way i am obstinate i would say sometimes i am very hard-headed but I believe that through grit and persistence, you can reach your goals no matter what. Mm. Thank you so much for this, Davros. Thank you for having me, Tiff. Um, I mean, we still have one thing to finish. <laughs> the really exciting Tuchus and Alai, he loves this game. He was so excited to write for it. Um, so just to, I mean, it was, it was a really beautiful note. So it's really hard for me to change back to something more light, lighthearted and I, yeah, I really appreciate this chat. I think it was really, really beautiful. Thank you. Um, but yeah, let us know. Let these, let the viewers know if you jumped off a plane, you reset your own arm after breaking it uh, on a mountain or uh, your obsessive coffee drinker. 
So yes, uh, two truths and a lie. I hate this game, obviously, <laughs> but I did jump off a plane. I like, but I like uh, skydiving. I've done it. I loved it. It gives you an adrenaline rush that's mm. non-comparable. I did reset my hand on top of a mountain after I broke it snowboarding. Yes. Did you learn those skills on the boat? Yes, you do take advanced medical care. That said, based on my my knowledge, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I did it. It was a stupid idea. I didn't want to leave it hanging, so I put it back. Then I tried to snowboard my way down. Oh. And I thought that at that time, like logic kicked in and was like, okay, this is a stupid idea. So sit on your knees and wait for someone to come and help you. So this is what I did. I was alone. Yes, I was alone on top of the mountain. So yeah, I called in the rescue and they they picked me up and stuff. So no, no, they were very professional. They they said like, this is the third time this day. So pony up. Um, And then the lie is that I do not drink coffee. Yeah, I do not. I'm not a very big fan of addictive things, and coffee is kind of addictive. So, I'm not interested in getting this addiction going as well. Fair enough. It's my one addiction. But I feel like in Greece, people drink a lot of coffee, right? Yes, there is a lot of coffee drinking on the boat, especially. There is a lot of coffee. I never drank coffee on board, or in my daily life, or as an athlete. Uh, I don't know. I I just never really you know, appreciate it fully, probably. Have you ever tried it? Yeah, yeah, on occasion, but I'm not I'm not a very big fan. Okay, don't try to tempt Stavros with coffee, he won't take it. Maybe sugar, maybe, maybe. sugar. Maybe sugar. <laughs> try to get give him some sugar, get him addicted. Yeah. Um, no, thank you, thank you so much for today. I really, I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it too. Uh, I did. I hope everybody who listens doesn't get too depressed, but other than that. Let us know how you feel. Come up to Stavros, give him a hug, tell him he loves hugs. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Stavros.